and welcome to a bonus podcast episode, the closing speech from the SNP conference delivered by First Minister Hamza Yousaf. The absolute lack of mainstream media coverage has been quite noticeable. We, we really are in a news blackout. The Scottish Independence podcast is not party political, but obviously the First Minister of Scotland is relevant to all of us. So here is his closing speech from the SNP conference this week. Delegates, this is a party that I consider my home, full of people I see as my extended family. And I have never felt the love, kindness, and solidarity of the SNP family as much as I have over the last 10 days. (laughs) So on my behalf, on behalf of Nadia, on behalf of my girls, perhaps most importantly on behalf of our family that is in Gaza, From the bottom of our hearts, we say thank you to each and every single one of you. What we are witnessing in the Middle East is truly heartbreaking. Imagine waking up on a Saturday morning during one of your holy festivals as families right across Israel did last week to find that your loved ones had been murdered or kidnapped by Hamas terrorists. It is beyond words, and to, of course, be condemned in the strongest possible manner. Or imagine living in the Gaza Strip under constant bombardment right now. No food, no water, No power. Friends, tragically, we don't have to imagine. This is the reality for Israeli and Palestinian families alike. Too many innocent men, women and children are suffering. The hostages must be released and a humanitarian corridor must be opened. Vital supplies let in and Gazans who want to leave must be allowed to leave. The blockade of Gaza must end. Conference, we are absolutely clear. The life of a Palestinian is equal to the life of an Israeli. It is right for the world to condemn the actions of Hamas, unequivocally. But any form of collective punishment, as we're seeing in Gaza, can never be justified. 2.2 million innocent people cannot pay the price for the actions of Hamas. And here at home, to Scotland's Jewish, Muslim, and Palestinian communities, you are communities that I love. And I want you to know as First Minister, as a fellow human being, 
I share the pain and I share the sorrow that you're feeling. I've attended your synagogues, your churches, your mosques, your communities I've grown up with, I've danced with, I've laughed with. And in this last week, that I have shed many a tear with. Each and every person in Scotland, from all of the vibrant communities of our nation, must feel safe here. And as long as I'm First Minister, let me be abundantly clear. There is no room for anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, or hatred of any kind here in Scotland. say about making me greet. <laughs> Conference, the great American writer, Toni Morrison said this, no more apologies for a bleeding heart when the opposite is no heart at all. Danger of losing our humanity must be met with more humanity. In the past, people in Scotland and across the UK have opened our hearts and our homes. We've welcomed those from Syria, from Ukraine, and many other countries' conference. We must do so again. There are currently one million people displaced within Gaza. So therefore, I'm calling today on the international community to commit to a worldwide refugee programme for the people of Gaza. I'm calling on the UK government to take two urgent steps. Firstly, they should immediately begin work on the creation of a refugee resettlement scheme for those in Gaza who want to and, of course, are able to leave. And when they do so, Scotland is willing to be the first country in the UK to offer safety and sanctuary to those who are caught up in these terrible attacks. <laughs> Conference, my brother-in-law is a doctor in Gaza. When we can get through to him on the phone, he tells us of scenes of absolute carnage. Hospitals running out of medical supplies, doctors, nurses, having to make the most difficult decision of all, who to treat and who to let die. That can't be allowed. Not in this day and age. So I therefore urge the UK government to support the medical evacuation of injured civilians in Gaza. Let me be clear. And let me be clear, Scotland is ready to play her part and our hospitals will treat the injured men, women and children of Gaza where we can. Yeah. <clears throat> Delegates, I joined the SNP almost 20 years ago because I could see that it was 
outward-looking, an internationalist party, resolute in its support for human rights right around the world. Today, those values have never been more important so that we can make our contribution abroad and build the fairer society we know is possible right here at home. This is meant to be a rich country, yet it feels like too many are struggling, no matter how hard they work. It can seem like society is becoming even more polarised, when frankly, there is a lot more common ground than we realise. People see all this, and they want to know who has a plan to make their lives better, to make Scotland a fairer, a more prosperous country. Delegates, if we, the SNP, want to continue to be trusted by the people of Scotland, and if we, if we want to take them on our journey to independence, then we need to show them that we have the answers to these questions. A couple of weeks ago, we had a tough night in the Rutherglen and Hamilton West by-election. We can either spend time feeling sorry for ourselves, or we can take another course of action. Let me tell you what that is. We roll up our sleeves, we work harder than ever before for the people of Scotland, and this is how I'm going to lead this party forward. It starts by standing by our values, sticking up for what we believe in, and always, every day, standing up for the people of Scotland. Yeah. Friends, we have used our time in government to cement our social contract with the people. A contract that says, yes, those who earn the most should pay the most. But a social contract in which everyone benefits, regardless of wealth. I'm proud this SNP-led government, Scottish government, has brought our rail back into public ownership. A rail service that is run for people, not run for profit, and a rail service under this SNP government that has scrapped peak time fares. We've abolished prescription charges. We've made sure our NHS staff are the best paid in the UK. And now our brilliant social care workers will be paid at least £12 an hour. We've invested in our schools more teachers and higher spending per pupil than anywhere in the UK. We've seen the biggest ever reduction in the attainment gap on literacy and numeracy in primary schools in a single year. We're helping families with the cost of living at times when they need it the most. Childcare provision, a rent freeze, free bus travel for young people, a conference. Here is another choice the SNP have made. If you're a parent struggling on a low income, you're now entitled to £25 a week thanks to the Scottish Child Payment. <laughs> when budgets are tight, that's a huge investment for any government to make. But it's the right choice. Do you know what it means? 
That means an estimated 90,000 fewer children in Scotland are living in poverty this year because of the actions of the SNP government. That's a government that's delivered and delivering for the people of Scotland. And friends, that delivery is, of course, in no small part down to my predecessor. Conference Nicola Sturgeon transformed Scotland. She reformed Scotland's public services. She improved the life chances of thousands of Scotland's young people. And we will never forget, never forget, in the toughest of times, our country faced. Nicola was the calmest of voices and the coolest of heads. So for all of this and more, we say thank you, Nicola. Delegates, people are rightly interested in what we have done for them. But if we're going to earn and re-earn their trust, what we're going to do for them in the future is more important. So let me tell you what we're going to do. I'll start with that most pressing of issues, helping people through these difficult times. Nobody in Scotland caused this Westminster cost of living crisis but almost everybody in Scotland is suffering because of it. And I never thought that in 2023, people on above average salaries would be coming to my constituency surgeries, asking for financial help. Nurses, teachers, police officers, these workers, they're the very backbone of Scotland's public services. People like them are being hit by this crisis too. We know that people are filled with dread when bills are going up and up. Now, we can't stop all bills from rising. But where we can act, we absolutely should. I've considered carefully what steps we can take to help. Council tax bills in Scotland are already hundreds of pounds a year lower than they are in England. We're committed to fundamentally reforming local taxation. We'll re-energise our work to do just that. We have consulted on what level the council tax should be next year. At conference, we have listened and we have reached our decision. I can announce to the people of Scotland that next year your council tax will be frozen. And that's the SNP delivering for people when they need it the most. Conference as well as supporting people during these tough times. We need to do everything we can to support our public services. And there is no more cherished an institution than our National Health Service. The SNP are already providing record funding to our health service. We have the best performing any units in the UK. But increased waiting lists are the inevitable consequence 
of the necessary decisions we had to make during the pandemic. We're working hard to reduce these. We've seen significant reductions in the longest waits since targets were announced last July. We've opened two national treatment centres this year in Fife and Highland, dedicated centres for elective procedures. And by the end of this year, we'll expand that capacity with a new centre in Forth Valley and the second phase of NHS Golden Jubilee in Glasgow. But conference, too many people are still waiting too long for treatment. And that's why I'm announcing today that in each of the next three years, we will provide an extra £100 million to cut waiting lists in our NHS. This additional £300 million of investment will allow us to maximise capacity, build greater resilience into the system and deliver year-on-year -year reductions in the number of patients who have waited far too long. This will reduce waiting lists by an estimated 100,000 patients by 2026. When our NHS needs us, this party steps up, delivering for patients delivering for our NHS and, crucially, delivering for Scotland. <laughs> Conference, we are, of course, here meeting in Aberdeen, Europe's energy capital. A city that successive Westminster governments, be they Labour or Tory, have used as a cash cow, squandered billions that flowed to the Treasury and barely invested a fraction back. And instead of having a fund that can invest in all of our futures, the people of this city, the people of Aberdeen, are having to fundraise, to fundraise, to rejuvenate the very heart of their city. Union Street is the silver mile of Scotland's energy capital. And therefore, I can announce today that the Scottish Government will provide £400,000 to the campaign to rejuvenate Union Street. <clears throat> you see, delegates, this is just the latest in the transformation of Scotland's cities, whether it's here in Aberdeen and with Union Street, St James's Quarter in Edinburgh, the ambitious Clyde mission in the city of Glasgow. New life is being breathed into our urban centres. And in Dundee, a city very close to my heart, the SNP will support the superb regeneration of the disused gas works into a new Eden project. A beacon for regeneration and a beacon for green tourism. Conference, the oil and gas industry, and most crucially, our workers here in the North East, are absolutely vital to Scotland's economy, and they will be for many years to come. But we also need to look to the future. So a just transition isn't just important for tackling the climate emergency, for that it absolutely is. It's also a huge economic opportunity. Successful bidders for the Scotland offshore licensing round have indicated that there's a potential for £25 billion to be invested in the Scottish supply chain over the lifetime of Scotland.
But we can't just sit back and expect that opportunity to just fall into our laps. We've got to work with industry. And we work with industry, we are absolutely determined to create it. So I can therefore announce today that over the next five years, the Scottish Government will invest up to £500 million to anchor a new offshore wind supply chain right here in Scotland. catalyst for additional private investment in our ports and our harbours, supporting inward investment, encouraging domestic companies to seek new opportunities. That's cutting emissions, that's creating sustainable jobs and sending a clear message to global investors that Scotland means business. Delegates, all of us, each and every single one of us in this hall cares deeply about equality. And to the fellow men in the room, we all have a duty, me of course included, to stand up and be counted. I call out abuse and violence women suffer far too often in our society. You know, I was proud to be the Justice Secretary when the Domestic Abuse Act came into force. The conference, there's so much more to do. It takes incredible courage for a survivor of domestic abuse to come forward to ask for help. But often, women feel they can't leave their abusive partner because they don't know how they'll feed themselves or their children. They don't know how they'll be able to put a roof over their heads. I can only imagine how agonizing that must be. That's why today, I can announce that we will pilot a new 500,000 pound fund to support women in this, the most distressing of circumstances. It's called the Fund to Leave. It will be delivered by women's aid groups in the five council areas with the highest number of women presenting as homeless due to domestic abuse. Women will receive up to £1,000 to help them pay for the essentials that they and their children need. Because conference, let us in this hall today say to any woman or survivor of domestic abuse that we stand with you. Conference, our nation, that's rich in culture and the arts. Culture is a reflection of who we are. It's also a reflection of who we hope to be as people. We don't just value culture and the arts for the economic impact they bring. We value them for their own sake, for the joy that they bring the world. And delegates, you heard exactly what a joy culture brings to young people earlier this afternoon when you were treated to a brilliant performance by Sistema's big noise, Govan Hill. And I can tell you, conference, they have more musical ability uh, in their left pinkies than I do in my whole body. <laughs> but nonetheless, I do want to send a clear signal today about my ambition for culture in Scotland. We're not just going to protect our arts funding. We're not just going to increase it in line with inflation. No delegates, we're going to go further than that. I can announce today 
that over the next five years, we will invest and we will more than double our investment in Scotland's arts and culture. Yeah. <laughs> this means, this means, this means that by the end of the five years, our investment will be £100 million higher than it is today. This is a huge, a huge vote of confidence in the future of our culture sector and the vital work of bodies like Screen Scotland, Creative Scotland and our festivals. Delegates, politics is about choices. I choose to ensure that Scotland's arts and culture are supported to grow at home and to be seen right across the world. Conference, the choices we make that are driven by our principles, our convictions, our values. Values, they're not abstract. They determine the practical policies that governments pursue. And those policies can have a profound impact on all of our lives. So let me give you one example of a different a very different set of values to those that are held by the SNP. At the Tory party conference, the UK Home Secretary warned about what she described as a hurricane of migrants coming to the UK and other Western countries. When I hear that dog whistle language, it makes me shudder. But do you know what else it does? It makes me resolve to work even harder for independence so that Scotland's policies are decided here in Scotland and our immigration policies can never ever be decided by extremist Westminster politicians. Yeah. <laughs> you see, not only is the anti-migrant rhetoric morally wrong, of that is, it's also bad for our economy, our migration economy, our migration policy. It'll be based and founded on core principles. It'll be welcoming, it'll be internationalist. It will be compassionate. So let me be clear. We will always speak out against the voices of extremism, against those who want to fuel a culture war. And when we secure independence, the hostile environment will be gone and it will be gone for good. Friends, it says something, doesn't it, about the modern-day Tory party, that such rhetoric from the Home Secretary is seen as a pitch for the leadership. Sorella Braverman's most compassionate moment came when she stood in the tail of a guide dog conference. <laughs> but to be serious, the Tories making the culture wars their election strategy. Do you know what it says? It says the Tories know they're defeated. 
They're done. They're finished. Conference, good riddance to them. Now that leaves Labour. And when it comes to values, I've got absolutely no idea what Keir Starmer stands for. When it comes to Keir Starmer, the closer he gets to Downing Street, the further he retreats from his principles. Um, let me give you an example. Once upon a time, Keir Starmer agreed with the SNP that it was abhorrent to force women who've been raped to provide proof, proof, before they can access child benefits. But now, Labour and Sir Keir Starmer say they plan to apply Tory policies, like the rape clause, in their words, more fairly. <laughs> Delegates, the so-called rape clause is one of the cruelest policies devised by this inhumane Tory government. The only fair thing to do with the rape clause is to abolish it. Yeah. The rape clause, rape clause will certainly have no place in an independent Scotland, and frankly, it should have no place in any modern civilised society. Conference, the Tories are finished. Labour has abandoned its principles. But the SNP will always stand by ours. And at our conference on Sunday, we decided together on the process for winning our country's independence. This was a, a very important debate. But if I can be so, be so bold in a room that is full of committed independent supporters. It's not process arguments that will achieve our goal. Around half of our fellow Scots already support independence. And I have no doubt that we can turn that half into a sustained majority. And we will do so when we concentrate not on the how, but on the why. And we came together on Sunday and we agreed. At the next election, page one, line one of our manifesto will say, vote SNP for Scotland to become an independent country. <laughs> and the reason that will be page one, line one of our next manifesto, is because independence is about building a better Scotland. Independence is not simply an end in itself. It's inextricably linked to the cost of living crisis. It's about raising living standards. It's about protecting our NHS. Above all, it's about a new well-being economy, an economy that works for the people, not the other way round. And on the economy, Keir Starmer says he wants growth, growth, growth. Well, there's a huge problem with that because he also supports Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. Yeah. 
Brexit can't be made to work for Scotland. It has been an unmitigated disaster. And with independence, we can escape the failed UK Brexit-based economy and take our place for the very first time as a member state in our own right of the European Union. Conference, we know that people have suffered because of Westminster crashing the economy. We know the challenges that people are facing every day. But delegates, we do not seek independence for Scotland despite these challenges. We seek independence for Scotland because of them. European countries that are like Scotland are fairer and wealthier than the UK. Ireland, Norway, Denmark, Austria, Finland, and other comparable nations have higher national income per head than the UK. They have higher productivity, lower inequality, lower poverty. So with all of our talent, with our world-class food and drink, world-class universities, world-class sectors like life sciences, video games, financial services, with an abundance of renewable energy and confidence most importantly with a hard-working, gallus, talented people as, as our greatest asset, I ask the question, why not Scotland? We are doing more than campaigning to win our independence. We are preparing for independence because we are building the institutions for delivery. Since 2014 in government, we've set up a new social security system, a tax agency, a national investment bank. We've expanded our overseas network with new offices in Berlin and Copenhagen. With Brexit, Westminster is isolating itself from the world. With the SNP, and to paraphrase Winnie Ewing, Madame Ecos, Scotland is joining the world. <laughs> Friends, we're going to take further steps that will both provide direct benefits under devolution and will also prepare us for independence. The UK has a shocking record on capital investment. As First Minister, I'm co-chair of the Scottish Government's Investor Panel, made up of a group of distinguished experts. They're challenging the Scottish Government to be bold. And that's why I'm announcing our most ambitious proposal yet. I can, I can confirm. I will go again. I can confirm. <laughs> that's how ambitious it is. It has left me speechless.
I am delighted to announce our most ambitious proposal yet. I can confirm that by the end of this Parliament, the SNP government will, subject of course to due diligence and appropriate market testing, we will go directly to the international bond market for the first time in our own right. To fund vital infrastructure, projects like affordable housing, we will issue Scotland's first ever bond. This will bring Scotland to the attention of investors right across the world. It will raise our profile as a place where investment returns can be made. And in doing so, we will show the world not only that we're a country to invest in today, will also demonstrate the credibility to international markets that we, that we will need when we're going to become an independent country. Delegates, the SNP is delivering for the people of Scotland and brick by brick, institution by institution, we are laying the foundations for what will be our newly independent state. We are truly living in the early days of a better nation. Conference, when it comes to setting out our prospectus for a better Scotland, we'll be stepping up the pace. We've set out our macroeconomic framework, detailing currency policy. We've published plans for a written constitution, a constitution, of course, that would provide recognition, protection for the NHS in Scotland, giving the right to access a system of healthcare available free at the point of need. A constitution that recognises and protects employment rights including, of course, the right to strike. And conference, a constitution that most importantly would recognise that sovereignty will always sit with the people who live here, not with the House of Commons and certainly not with the House of Lords. We'll be back on Friday with our normal Friday podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Bye now.